Hey folks, welcome to the DC3 cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Vince and Zach. We are going to talk about the DC comics that were released on December 6th, 2017. So if you haven't read them yet, pause the podcast, go uh, enjoy them and come back because we're going to talk about them. And you can find us talking about lots of other comic stuff right now on multiversitycomics.com. We are in the midst of our year in review. Uh, on Monday of this week, we did our breakout writer and artist. On Tuesday, we have the Dave Stewart Award, which is our colorist award and the best uh, anthology. And uh, today, Wednesday, when you're listening to this, hopefully, we'll have two more categories, as we'll have every weekday for the next few weeks. Uh, both Vince and Zach and I uh, all contributed to this, and uh, it's a lot of fun, so check that out. And uh, check out the other Multiversity podcasts while you're at it as well. Uh, this week, I'm going to put a plug out there for Make Mine Multiversity. It's our newest podcast. It is hosted by Kevin Gregory, and it is the sort of Marvel equivalent of the DC3 cast in a lot of ways. Uh, Kevin is joined by a rotating group of Multiversity staffers. Uh, I'm sure all three of us at some point will appear on that show. And they talk about classic runs, all Marvel news, and other sorts of stuff. So check it out at multiversitycomics.com. All right, boys. Enough preamble. Let's get to this. Let's get to Justice League number 34, the first issue of a new creative team of Christopher Priest and Pete Woods. First of all, how happy are we that Priest is still doing the, like, little captions for the different scenes in the black text boxes? That's just like his his thing. I don't know if either of you checked out um, that Inhumans miniseries he's doing over at Marvel, um, but he uses oh, really? them in that as well. Yeah. I wonder if this has been his thing all along, and just my ignorance didn't tell me that. Maybe I don't know. Well, and see, I've read stuff he's written in the past. I'm sure I have. Uh, and I don't remember this, but I, I feel like it's also something that easily, like, you know, it's maybe been eight or ten years since I've read Any Priest before right. Deathstroke. So, like, it's I feel like that's something that easily I could have forgotten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it instantly, at this point, it instantly evokes Deathstroke, which is a good thing for reading another comic that evokes Deathstroke. Yeah, I mean, now I guess it evoked Priest. I guess I... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what did you guys think of this first issue? I I really liked it. Uh, I, I thought it was... Um, I thought the pacing was a little weird, but I liked the idea that Bruce is, um, you know, just constantly calculating who can be of most use where and and sort of micromanaging where the league is at any given time. That seemed pretty spot on for how he would handle things. Um, I thought that was fun. Yeah, and I think think in that way it was appropriately disorienting, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I feel like I only read the issue once just because of time. Uh, I'm going to go back and read it again at some point. But I felt like the first time through, it was not not unclear and not not hard to follow the uh, 
logic of the events that were happening, but it was it was overwhelming a little bit, probably intentionally so, to keep track of everything that was going on because there was so much going on. Mm-hmm. And and other books have tried this before, like, oh, there's too many problems for the Justice League to solve, you know? And uh, how are they going to do it, you know? And I feel like this issue did the best job, uh, as far as my memory goes back, of presenting a bunch of problems that really do feel like they could overwhelm the team, like this team of gods, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh so I'm looking forward to reading it again, but I really enjoyed I, I enjoyed the way that it was disorienting. And it's not disorienting in the same way that Deathstroke and the way that Deathstroke played with time a little bit or chronology was disorienting. You know, you know what I mean? Like yes. it's an entirely yeah. different it's an entirely different approach to the same like uh appropriately disorienting feeling, I guess. Yeah, I I I didn't feel. I think disoriented is a good word for it. Um, I, I you feel like you feel like everything is on the precipice of falling apart, but nobody is panicking about it. It felt like this is kind of what life in the Justice League is like, and it seemed exhausting. But it kind of should. They're the Justice League. You know what I mean? Like it. It gave a, a good indication, sort of, of of what it would be like to be on the hook for basically policing the entire world and how exhausting and just absolutely life-consuming it would become. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it as well. And on a, a purely small aesthetic level, I absolutely love the fact that we got the uh, the roll call box. <laughs> Little things like that really mm-hmm. make me happy. Um, and, yeah. And that made the issue feel classic instantly. Yeah. I mean, it, also, it also didn't hurt that Pete Woods is on this book. Because mm-hmm. he's great. And he instantly brought a different feel to this book than uh, any of the Hitch artists did yeah and um did you see the way that he drew aquaman's butt in that one panel (laughs) i i did not but now i'm scouring you could bounce a quarter off of that i'd hope so he's the king of the sea he's the (laughs) never mind (laughs) um yeah, uh, the other thing I really liked about this issue was it. We talked about this a little bit when the premise of Priest Justice League came up, but it it really highlights um, Bruce's role as like the human without abilities on the team. You know, uh-huh. uh, when you see him crumpled on the steps at the end yeah when when uh, Clark comes up to him that you, you never see that with the Justice League right you know they yeah. they're always just at the ready and it stands to reason that at some point Bruce has to sleep you know and uh and I just love the way that he's like crumpled there and Clark walks up and of course Clark he's just got his hand in his pockets and uh he's just doing fine you know yeah 
and uh, and it really contrasts like we normally see Batman, especially uh, you know, especially in the modern era, as this like unstoppable machine kind of, and uh, that's just that obviously couldn't be the case if you're talking about any sort of realism. And I know realism is sometimes a sticky wicket to to pull off in comics, but you know when you set him up amongst everyone else he's got to have a weakness you know and if you don't make him his being a a a, a non-powered human an actual weakness then what good is it you know yeah and i'll also say i loved clark like being tender but not like getting too much in bruce's face there like he sits right next to him he puts his hand on his shoulder that's probably about as much intimacy as bruce would allow you know, yeah. but it was nice. It just it says so much about Clark that he would that he would do that. It was a really nice moment between those two characters in a week where we have a lot of nice moments between those two characters. Mm-hmm. What uh, happened out there, sport? <laughs> um, I particularly enjoyed the way Pete Woods uh, drew Aquaman, but notwithstanding, and um, I really enjoyed his. Uh, his Batman as well. I, I feel like sometimes people draw Batman's cape as just being the largest thing in the entire universe. And that's one of my pet peeves is like when Batman has the spawn cape. And I feel like, <laughs> I, I feel like here, uh, Woods had like the perfect uh, amount of, of bat cape. Yeah. yeah. Woods is good. I, I like him on this. Yeah. I'm very excited about this run and I hope it lasts for a long time. Yeah, part of me is kind of afraid it's just a placeholder, but we'll see. Well, I, actually, I guess now is a good time to, to bring that up. I was going to say a lot of people thought that maybe Brian Bendis would be the new uh, Justice League writer, but we want to wish Brian Bendis uh, good health. We, uh, you know, he had a, a, an infection last week that landed him in the hospital. He uh, People thought he was going to die, perhaps. And, uh, you know, I, I know we had some fun with Bendis. Not too long ago on this show, but obviously we uh, we don't want anything bad to ever happen to Brian Bendis. So uh, yeah, get well soon, Brian. Anything else to say about uh, Justice League? No, it's a promising start. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's talk then about the DC Holiday Special. It's an annual tradition. That did it go away for a little while? We had one last year. Yeah, but did we have one the couple years before then? I can't remember. I during the new fifty two, I'm hard pressed to remember them even having. I really don't remember. They may have had one here or there, but they definitely took some years off during the new fifty two. Yeah, I, I always enjoy these kind of books. They're they're usually a lot of fun, and uh, this particular uh, installment had a lot of really really good talent on it. And uh, we'll talk about some of the sort of best and and worst moments of it, uh, you know, as we go along here. But y'all know I'm going to talk about Bibbo. <laughs> oh, who did <laughs> who did we? What did we, what was our stinger that one time? That uh, that Bibbo is is the king of desserts. Oh, that's right, and he, he is. If if your dessert is booze, of course. <laughs> um. 
but no, the sort of the, the framing story of this uh, of this issue is a uh, Jeff Lemire, Giuseppe Camicoli, uh Bibbo Superman Constantine story. Uh, words Fantastic. I never words I never thought would go together, <laughs> but uh, but they do, and I'm I'm very glad they do. I really enjoyed this story. Me too, and like man, kind of a bummer in itself because. You know, Jeff Lemire did so much Constantine stuff in the New 52, and none of it was really ever quite up to par for like for either you know Constantine comics or Jeff Lemire comics, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is really good. And yeah. uh, Camion Coley, who I'm pretty sure did um, worked on Peter Milligan's Hellblazer run. Yeah, I think you're right. Taking a turn there. Yeah. I will Kevin say Cooley's great. He is. I will say that because the issue like I, I just thought there was a page missing from our PDF because Bibbo says something and then all of a sudden it's a Batman story. <laughs> like <laughs> the, the, there was no transition there at all. I didn't realize it was a framing story until at the end of the issue. I was like, "Oh, okay. Now I see why this that why I see why it just stopped in the middle there." All right. <laughs> Makes a little more sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I especially loved the back half where he goes uh, he goes over to to Clark and Lois's and uh, John is like interrogating him and <laughs> yeah, it's it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, really nice framing device. It gives me this little bitty bit gives me so much hope for Jeff Lemire at DC. Um. That yeah, I I hope they just give him everything, anything he wants. Yeah, give it to him. Um. So next we get a Batman story, um, written by Denny O'Neill with art by Steve Epting, and you know Epting is great. Don't get me wrong. This was a weird story, and and there's a horrible bit of dialogue in it. So. Yeah. So, so in this story, there's this grandma and kid that, for reasons that aren't really explained, are out wandering on Christmas Eve without a place to go. They stop at a house, and they're not allowed in, and then the grandma freezes to death. And uh, the, the kid asks what happens to his grandma, and they're like, oh, she's gone to a better place. Then the two cops are talking later, and one says, is that what happens to the old lady? And one says, yep, next time he sees her, she'll be in a box. <laughs> There's no reason for that line of dialogue. There was, <laughs> there was a lot of weird dialogue in this. How about when uh, when it's it's the present day and Alfred is driving Bruce up to you know where he's going to trudge in through the snow, and <laughs> they're talking about it, and uh, Bruce says. Uh, Across every state line, redistricting left Holly and no man's redistricting left Holly and no man's land officially doesn't exist. So no firemen, no police, just us. And Alfred goes, "Us and the blizzard. The blizzard's not a person, right, Alfred, Exactly. First yeah. of all, <laughs> and then he says, "You seem to have a special interest in this situation. Endangered parents that would interest you. <laughs> it's like no shit. That's kind of his thing. Yeah, exactly. Like what? Like." There's so much in here that's like, <laughs> Alfred doesn't need to say anything at that moment, you know? Yeah. 
It should, it should just be understood. Everything yeah. should be understood. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's so so weird. Yeah. Uh, and then and then just it's just weird that the guy is like being haunted to shoot to like kill murder these people and then and then the end it just ends so abruptly too yeah. like oh granny go away and never come back. <laughs> yeah. Bye, bye, Granny. She died on the way back to her home planet. Then, yeah. Essentially. Um, <sighs> then we get a uh, Green Arrow story with uh, the return of Phil Hester to Green Arrow, uh, uh, illustrating it with uh, Marguerite Scott writing the story. This was fine. I feel like this is very typical of what a DC holiday special story is. It's like, it's a story, you know, for some reason Green Arrow dresses up like Santa Claus for reasons that aren't really ever explained, uh, just because I guess he likes to give back or whatever. It, it's fine. It's a, it's a toothless, harmless story. Anything else to say about it? No, it was, it was nice. It was cute. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that nice Phil Hester art again that mm-hmm. I like so much. Yeah. It feels very... Mid two thousands DC. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah, that's the sweet spot. Oh. Uh, next up, we get a uh, a Tom King, uh, Francesco Francobilla joint with uh, involving Sergeant Rock. Well, not really inv- involving one of Sergeant Rock's uh, members of the um, Easy Easy, uh, company. Easy Company. Yeah. And uh, this is the most Tom King story imaginable. <laughs> I think every every Tom King story that we read becomes the most Tom King story imaginable. But like this is just it's paced exactly like King stories. But I actually kind of like this. Yeah, I liked it too. I mean, it's been too long since we've had Frank Avia in a DC book, and um, you know, nice little. Nice little Hanukkah story. Um, maybe, I, I don't know, I guess maybe another podcast could discuss the the questionable merit of turning a, a World War II story into a Hanukkah story. I don't know. <laughs> I don't no. know. I don't know. I mean, is Tom King Jewish? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. I mean, I, 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 I feel like the, um, you know... The, it, the it sentiment feels, is good. Yeah, the sentiment I is good, think. and I think it feels particularly relevant in 2017 with the return yeah. of Nazis as the uh, sure. special surprise guest star of our lives. For uh, sure. You know... Um, Thought we were done with them, but... Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not much orange from Francesco Francavia, but a little bit, a little bit of orange. Yeah. A little bit of orange. He likes his orange. A little bit of orange in my life. (laughs) Nothing rhymes with orange. So, you you know, Mambo number five. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I, I love the color scheme though. I thought that looked really great. That, uh, dusky blue. Yeah, just blues, whites, and blacks, basically, with some with some red blood sprinkled in. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. I felt like, um, yeah, I liked I liked this. It didn't blow me away the way that like um, 
I, I guess I kind of expected it to or, or hoped it would. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it was fine. Certainly different from anything else in the book, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah. Um, next up we can, get... Can, can, I take, can I take a break here to talk about how much better this whole package is than whatever they decided to do for Halloween <laughs> with that House of Horrors book? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Like, oh, I don't know who decided... I'm sorry. I don't know who decided to give Keith Giffen that entire book. Well, I, I, I think the idea was that like they needed... They felt that if they just turned these characters over to novelists, they would not get the essence of the of superheroes. So they had to let Keith Giffen be like the nursemaid to uh, take care of these, you know, these these poor, confused novelists. Whereas, like, if they just let the novelists put their own spin on these characters, it would have been infinitely more interesting than Keith Giffen's, like, you know, seven hundred year old man take on these characters. So right, or you know, maybe even like. Um, let them do something, you know, mix some prose into it as well, you know, like these are novelists, maybe that could have been interesting. Sort of like, I mean, DC comics have messed with that before. Like, I think of that Grant Morrison prose issue from his Batman run. Right. Which, like, don't always work out, but I mean... It's not I, that book didn't particularly work out anyway. So right, exactly. <laughs> it could have done something interesting that would have played to the art, the the creator strengths as well. So yeah, yeah. Uh, well, this brings us to a Josh Williamson Neil Googe, uh flash story starring oh, the both Googe. the Googe. Uh, I Googed. <laughs> starring both Wally West and Barry Allen. Uh, I really enjoyed this story. This had every like bit of fun holiday stuff I want. It has the Flash delivering presents and kids all over the country. It has um, like a serial commercial Christmas a, a Christmas serial commercial ending with the, the friend apologizing for being too busy and sharing like, a bowl of ice cream. It just feels like an eighties like uh, oh. In the best way. Oh, in the best way. Absolutely. Yes, I mean, I mean that as a total compliment. Like, this reminds me of a, of a holiday story from when I was a kid. It was just, it was it was lovely. Everything about it was great. Yeah. 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 Stupid sexy Wally as well, I think. <laughs> yeah. Remember how we were kind of, like, the last time Googe, um, uh, drew a flash comic we were kind of like barry looks weird and it's just stuff look like just didn't quite look right uh-huh. this is the googe i want yes agreed this, this looked the, like this is the googe yeah. we're looking for <laughs> not that that previous googe was bad or anything it was just there was something a little bit off of about it and i remember us all kind of commenting on that and uh yeah. Anyway, yeah. This was good. This was really good. And you know what? I am a sucker for the uh, Titans Tower all lit up. Yep, lit up at the Christmas tree. Yep. And we got a double whammy of that. We did. This week. Uh, 
Um, so next up is A Wilson Family Christmas, a Deathstroke story by Priest and Tom Grummet. And, uh, again, Christopher Priest is so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm loving his, I'm loving Priest's sense of humor lately. Mm-hmm. I feel like that that's an element that's been present since the beginning of the Deathstroke run, but the more he like enriches the relationship between all these characters, the the more humor he's finding in them and the more he's getting away with. Like yeah. I I mean it's like fifty percent comedy at this point. There's so much like Wintergreen being sardonic and and the Kids misbehaving, and it's fantastic. And Adelaide yeah. being like, you can't go on missions without me. Because, yeah. you know, you can't leave me at home with these dumb kids, essentially. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Yeah. They're pretty messed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Super fun issue. Uh, I mean, yeah, this, story... this again, like, felt kind of sitcom-y if Deathstroke was a sitcom, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, unfortunately, that's followed up by the Atomic Knight story by Dan DeDio and Matthew Clark. Oh, I liked this story. Oh, I had no time for this story. <laughs> I thought this was really cool. I thought the art was really good. I thought, I mean, we never get Atomic Knight stories, and I think those characters, I think those designs are so fun. I mean, like, they're knights that ride around on giant Dalmatians, and... <laughs> It's so ridiculous. I, I, I'm and not... there are there are tree people, and the message was good. I'm not against Old... the ideas behind this story. I just felt that Didio wrote a snooze of a uh, script here. Oh, I thought this was, I, I thought this was delightful. I liked it a lot. Vince, be the tiebreaker here. Um, I think I'm more on Zach's side Son the near side bitch. no sorry but it's it's barely um i guess i didn't care too much about what the words said <laughs> <laughs> but, but i loved pretty much all of the pictures and when what was happening like just like like zach said it's so batshit crazy you know they're they're knights riding on dogs and the like, the like plant creatures were something out of like a gnome cartoon from the eighties or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, are you talking about David the gnome? Yeah, I, well, I'm, we're not allowed to see now. We now we have to pay uh, Tom Bosley's uh, estate for having said that. Look so. around you. <laughs> there are many things to see. Yeah, I, I could sing sit the, on it, Potsy. I, I could sing the entire theme song if you want me to, but I won't. I'll, I'll say take it, it. Take it away. Put it as the stinger. I Birds and wizards and fairy kings, fish that talk and something, something. So yeah, it's it's there in my brain somewhere. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. I I just feel like this is um. I want an Atomic Night story. I don't want it here. I feel like this wasn't. To me, this took me out of the tone of the whole book. I don't know. I mean, it has a giant Christmas tree in it, 
and on the last like, and lots of snow and and a and a grumpy bespectacled bearded angry santa so i don't i don't know what more you could want but i'll let you have it are you guys there yeah I, I, yeah I, I, oh, okay that was weird i, I just put something in the, in the <laughs> chat for you guys there, so. uh, uh yeah. wow that's like four of them i know <laughs> four-part harmony uh, all right. <laughs> we're gonna we're we're gonna get reputations as as, as children uh, out there. Uh, next keep is keep Roy Moore away from us. Oh boy! Hopefully, by the time you hear this, he is um, a distant memory. Yep, but he'll probably be proudly serving in the Senate. So don't add us. Um. Next up is a Teen Titans story written by Shea Fontana with art by Otto Schmidt. Those are words to my... That's music to my ears. That combination of words together. Uh, th- this was another another fine Otto Schmidt artistic performance. Um, I'm liking what Starfire seems to be in Rebirth, which is sort of not quite the... Um, like not quite the full-on comedy character from Teen Titans Go, but also not the, as I once wrote in a review of Red Hood and the Outlaws in, like, 2012, a tabula rasa slash fuck machine who was just, like, <laughs> only obsessed with sex in the New 52. I like the sort of nuance they're giving the character. I enjoyed this story. Yeah, I did, too. I think, um... I think Otto Schmidt can draw anything. Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah, I uh, I really like this. Um, team Titans have been really good. Yeah, and this was really good. I really like this team, and uh, I would love Otto Schmidt to maybe jump over from Green Arrow every once in a while and draw some Teen Titans. Yeah, especially if Emmy becomes a part of the team, like it was sort of teased before. That would be uh. That'd be extra nice, and and I I do think we're gonna see Jaime Reyes join the team soon. You you keep saying that. I I really to me if they're gonna cancel that book, there are so few Latino characters in prominence at DC that it just doesn't make sense to me to to shelf that character shelf that character yet again, and so that's the one place that sort of makes the most sense to to put him on a monthly basis. I hope you're right. So we shall see. Um, next up, we get a Swamp Thing in Space story. Uh, a truly depressing Christmas story. <laughs> yeah, this you want to talk about ones that uh, took me out of the like flow of the story. This one was just, whew, it was out there. I liked the ending, though, where... Suddenly the bio chamber is full of fruits and vegetables, and then there's the Christmas tree... Yeah. I I thought that was I don't know. You you guys are right, but like I did smile a little bit at the beat that it ended on. It just seems like a weird again it, it, I'm just picturing like, you know, all right, you know, mass email to DC talent. 
hey, we're looking for pitches for our holiday special. Let us know what you guys want to write about. And someone's like, you know, and... Uh, 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 Swamp Thing. It's, okay, hear me out. It's Swamp Thing in space. He sneaks on board the International Space Station via mistletoe, and the world's about to head to nuclear winter. That's no uh, no more depressing than Grandma got run over by a reindeer. <laughs> As for me, I believe. Um, yeah, this was written by Scott Brian Wilson, illustrated by Nick Klein. I don't think I'm familiar with Scott Brian Wilson's work. Are you guys? I don't think so. If you've got three names, it takes a lot for me to... You know what I mean? Like, Philip Kennedy Johnson, he's in now with me. But, okay. uh, yeah, Scott Brian Wilson. Is it Scott Brian Wilson? I believe so. Scott Brian Wilson? No, wait. Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys? Yep. Oh, he writes. He wrote uh, some Star Trek comics. It's a pseudonym. It's actually um, Akira Yoshida. <laughs> there it is. Not where I thought you were going with that. <laughs> oh boy. Editor-in-chief of the largest comics company on Earth. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Uh, next up, we have the Wonder Woman and Batman story, written by Greg Rucka, illustrated by Bill Quist Evely. Um, this, was, this was lovely as well. Oh, that Bill Quist art. Yeah. The art is beautiful. I thought the story was a little light. I don't always love the the like back and forth narration thing that always makes me think of Batman, Superman and Batman, the, the Jeff Loeb comic. Mm -hmm. Um, well, Tom King's Batman, uh, story this week is gonna, I know, but this, this feels that at least had some, um, yeah, depth to it i felt this was very slight because it said a lot of the same things over and over like it it kind of said the same idea over and over again and then ended on a really nice note yeah yeah i think i agree with you totally zach like i i feel like when i feel like when writers do that it either becomes a very trite exploration of how the characters are different very obvious, you know? Um, or, like you said, it's saying a lot of the same things over and over again and laboring to get those same things said in two different characters' voices. Mm-hmm. And then and then we're supposed to be mesmerized or drawn, drawn into that. And it doesn't, it doesn't always work. And I thought this was nice. It was fine. Um, as part of an anthology, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, as something more, I don't think I have time for it. Um, yeah, this, this to me seems like a classic case of like DC really wanted Rucka to do a story for this. So yeah. he's scribbled on a bar napkin. Like, exactly, yeah. The script yeah, they, and they, uh, yeah uh, dark and light. Yeah, there yeah. we go. But then, but then by giving it to Evely to illustrate, it elevates the, 
the bar napkin story into something really beautiful. Mm-hmm. This her sure. art is just so great. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Bruce is looking like Gaston from uh, <laughs> from Beauty and the Beast in this thing. <laughs> He's looking like a snack, basically. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, the DC Holiday Special. There it is. Overall, a very fun read. Yeah, I think there were only two stories that I didn't even that I didn't care for and and even then I didn't hate them. Like I didn't hate them. Like there were some stories in the House of Horrors that I absolutely detested, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I wish this was cheaper. I forget how much the cover price is on it. $10. Yeah. It's hefty. I mean, it's 80 something pages, but still. Like, you know, it would be nice if this was because to me, this would be a really nice thing to give, like, if this was five bucks, let's say, I would buy one for each of my nieces and nephews. So I feel like mm-hmm. it's a good way for, like, someone who doesn't necessarily read comics to use characters you you enjoy, you can see, you can throw it in the stocking or something. It's a nice thing. But for $10, not that $10 is, is an insurmountable cost, but it seems like if you're trying to get kids to read comics, this is a nice way to do that. So you're gonna buy one and then rip it in half and give <laughs> exactly the, the good stories to the to the nephew or niece that you like and yep. yeah. Watch out, Noah! You're getting shit. Can I can I say though um, that like makes me think of something that I that I thought when I was reading this. Um, maybe I'm just spoiled by how much I love Weekly Shonen Jump, but I really wish that there was a book like this. That it could be monthly uh, and it could be ten dollars, but if and it wouldn't necessarily be like themed or anything, but just stories like this, um, I would I would eat something like that up. I would love that. Like monthly, did you say? Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe oh, something God. kind of like what Wednesday Comics was, only oh. in this format. Yeah, what I love what I love about that idea is that sometimes with Wednesday comics, if there was a strip you weren't particularly loving, you get the same strip for the X amount of time. But if it was mm-hmm. every month of different stories, nothing's continuing. Just these sort of right. little little one and dones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hire SDC. <laughs> All right, we're gonna talk about Nightwing number thirty four, then we're gonna take a little break here. But um Nightwing thirty four is the end of Tim Seeley's run on the character. You know, he did not quite finish out Nightwing. There were, there was, I mean, I mean, Grayson rather. There was uh, the last arc was written by the Hacktivist guys, but he has been writing Dick Grayson for. Geez, did Grayson start in 2013? That seems that seems early. Hold on, 2014 maybe. That sounds about right. Sounds like you don't know Dick, Brian. <laughs> Um, I feel like he did 30 issues of Grayson or something like that. Well, Zach, Zach knows that game. Oh, yeah. no. Grayson, I, I'm not sure. That was like way towards the end, and I, 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 don't, I don't know if I can do that. Grayson started July 2014. Okay. And it went for... Only twenty issues. Oh wow! Okay, that's not cool. counting some annuals and and other things. I'm not sure when the last um, 
King and Steely issue. I thought it was longer. Was. I think it just felt longer. Yeah, I think it, it did feel longer. Especially because at that point, nothing was double shipping. Right. Yeah, let's see. I know it went for a while. It went like just after Robin Warren did. Looks like issue 17 might have been the last one. Okay, so you figure... King and Seeley did. And then there were a couple of annuals. There was the Future's End annual. There was that great yeah. one that was in Ireland, I think. Drawn by Stephen Byrne. Um, mm. So you figure they... 20, probably 20-odd issues. Yeah, so let's say 20 issues of that, and then uh, 34 issues here. You know, that That's a pretty sizable run today mm. for a writer and, and one character. So, yeah. uh, so this feels, you know, sort of like a, m- a momentous passing of the torch. And this issue definitely wrapped up pretty much everything he'd been doing in the Nightwing book. You know, you get the um, the conclusion of the blockbuster stuff, whether you want it or not. <laughs> you get the conclusion of the Raptor storyline. You get a little bit of closure with DeFacer, uh, Sean, and Dick. You sort of see how Bloodhaven is going to be treated going forward. You know, I know we've been down on the last couple of arcs, but what did you guys think of this last issue? I I liked how it all wrapped up. I'm, uh, you're right. I wasn't a fan of especially this last arc, but I enjoyed watching Seeley put a bow on everything he'd been doing, especially the relationship with Sean. And Raptor. The Raptor stuff was especially nice, I think. Um, yeah. I I, uh, I ended up giving a crap. That's a good thing. And I, and I gave a crap about the, the, the runoffs uh, coming around, you know? Agreed. I, I think that that's, that's my favorite part of this run. Is what Silly did with those characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I actually really liked this issue um, for all the things you guys mentioned. It makes me sad that this is the point where it, you know, is leaving off because I feel like even though this arc was kind of a stinker, there were um, there are a lot of good ideas here and things that I would have liked to see see Lee do do more with. You know, more stuff with the uh, we just said. What are they called? The the runoffs. the runoffs. The runoffs, yeah. You know, if this had been the New 52, there totally would be a um, ill-advised runoffs ongoing <laughs> that would end after max eight issues. Yeah, Written by Tom DeFalco. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yep. With art um, by, uh, let's see, who would it be? Um, who did, uh, who did Team 7? That seems like a good fit. Jeez. Nobody remembers Team 7. I was thinking about it yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Was that because you were thinking about Justin Jordan? I was, yes. Exactly. Another shout out to our friend Justin Jordan, who, uh, had a, a, a bout of ill health this week also. So, feel better, Justin. Man, that guy got such a bum deal when he came to write for DC. He did. They, they made him write, like, the three worst books you could imagine. He was doing um, uh, Green Lantern New Guardians, which wasn't all he that He did that. Oh, that was okay. good, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. But he did Superboy and Team 7, and what else? Was that it? Did, 
Didn't he? he did. Didn't he do? Did, I was gonna say, didn't he do like one of the, uh, uh, one of the Liefeld books too? Like either Hawkman or Deathstroke? Or am I making that up? I think you're making that up. Ah. Well, it certainly felt like an uphill climb for Justin. He did Deathstroke. He did Deathstroke? Okay. Yeah, that's according to Wikipedia. Hell yeah. I haven't haven't cross-checked on Comixology, but yeah. I appreciate the fact that you would cross-check it for us. I would cross-check. That this is important enough to cross-check. Wikipedia is not a reliable enough source. I agree. I agree. This yeah, he is... did issues 16 and 19, apparently. <laughs> oh, no. Looks like 16 through 20. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that, that was a rough road for him. So I'm glad he's back with them doing the New Age of Heroes stuff, because hopefully this will give him a chance to do more fun stuff at DC. Anyway, we're talking about Nightwing here. Um, I You know, I, I think Javi Fernandez... Is uh, is great. I think he does a great job on this issue. I think that this has really felt almost more than like Batman Eternal, which I know he had a lot to do with. This has felt like a very Javi Fernandez inspired book visually. Even when he's not on it, you certainly feel his like design influence. And you know, he co-created Raptor, so you know I, I think it was nice to bring him back for this final issue as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. The book, I I think was definitely at its best when he was when he was illustrating it. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have any hope for uh, Sam Humphrey's run, or are we uh, are we just more or less sad about this? <laughs> um, I'm pretty sad. I, I'm I'm willing to give it a shot. Oh yeah, I mean. We give almost everything a shot, so... Yeah. Well, let's do this. Let's take a quick break, and then we're going to power through the rest of the books on the other side, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm Paul, the host of the Comic Syllabus Podcast, a weekly show on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely, and we dig deep, bringing different analytical approaches to our study and appreciation of the wide variety of comics out there. Along with comics teachers, critics, and creators, we do close readings of classic and current exemplars of the medium. And we invite you to join us every Tuesday here at MultiversityComics.com. So let's dig deep. All right, we're going to start off with Bane Conquest. I know you guys looked at this. I did not. Any Bane Conquest notes? No, I I don't know why this book exists. (laughs) I I don't. uh, Who is this for? Chuck Dixon. <laughs> well, no, there was a guy who looked vaguely like Deathblow for like <laughs> half a second. That that was all I took from it. Deathblow, when someone wants to blow you up, not because of who you are, but for other reasons entirely. <laughs> uh, well, get ready for Pigs to Fly, folks. It's time for Batman 36. Written by Tom King, illustrated by Clay Mann. Guys, I loved this issue. It's good! (laughs) But for real, though, it's really good. Yeah, you know, it's something we've talked about on this show before, or I I have talked about it more off the air than on the air, is how we really try to give everything a fair shake, 
and how we will frequently, like midway through an arc, be like, this good arc is not good anymore, or say we were down on this book for no reason, this is a good comic. And I feel like one of the hallmarks of the show, since almost since the beginning, has been us shitting on Tom King's Batman. But <laughs> I have to say, like, I really, really enjoyed this issue. Like unequivocally. There there's I, I could gripe a little bit about some of the dialogue still being kingy. I still don't love Selena and Bruce calling each other bat and cat all the time. It is there is a lot of like couples bantering that happens in it, but all of it really works. Because it's, oh, man. Because it's grounded in something. It's grounded in the idea that these two men are friends and it shows how much respect they have for each other. And uh Yeah. It was very good. Yeah. And, yeah. And it just, oh, it just rung so true as well. Like, of course, this is how these two grown men who run around in their underwear would, how, how like, kind of stunted their, their, like, relationship is, you know? Especially more on Bruce's end, I feel like. Like, Clark, I feel, is probably the more um he, he's the more well developed socially and, and all of that um but but when you have i mean batman is kind of like a weird he, he's very this felt like a i'm beating around the bush to say this felt like a very real extrovert introvert friendship you know yeah yeah and they did that without um, without having to make it dour, you know, like like yeah. they're they're, you know, Batman's this gruff guy and Superman's kind of this aloof, uh, you know, sort of aloof, proud, also kind of like midwestern polite guy, but they don't have to make it into this like, oh, these are two guys who don't need friends, you know, like it's funny. It's legitimately warm and funny that mm-hmm. it's like an awkward, you know, it's like an awkward comedy. Like, it's I love you, man, basically, is yeah. what I'm getting getting at. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, there's even the part where, where Bruce can't decide who his uh, Who's best friend is, clo- yeah. closest friend is. And I, I love how he just, he just like right away, he's like, uh, Alfred's my closest friend. The first, the first is Gordon. And Gordon. So he was like, he doesn't yeah. know your name. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh yeah, that part was very good. Uh, I love the the elevator bit where they're like getting out of the elevators and and Lois is like, "Hi, you must be Catwoman." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. And then Doctor Double X is there, and and it's just like a one-two pow pow. Yeah, just perfect. That's comic books right there. Absolutely. You know, th- this is like this is kind of what I've been waiting for Tom King to do, which is, um. I guess embrace he's been teetering the line. You know, we've, we've said this week after week after week that this is like a silly Adam West comic mixed with a, a dark Knight comic. Yeah. To me, this feels something much rather than having those two polar opposites try to come together. I feel like this is something much more naturally in the middle of who Batman is, you know, that Batman here is not the grim uh, Dark Knight Returns guy. He's also not Adam West, but there's a 
tinge of silliness and self-awareness to this whole thing, you know? Mm. It's like it's like a nice marriage in the middle without pulling these two extremes from either end. Mm-hmm. This this feels like maybe the closest we'll ever come to a um like Christopher Reeve, Superman, Michael Keaton, Batman crossover. <sighs> That's a great call. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I liked about this, in terms of what it says about their friendship, too, is that I feel like in, even if this was written five or six years ago, I could see the argument being made by both Bruce and Clark, like, not that, like, you know, the whole argument was like, well, he should call me, he knows I'm engaged, or no, he should call me, he's the one who got engaged, that's fine. It it It, it didn't ever run on the, like men don't have friends line. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like a couple, exactly, of, yeah. a couple, of, a couple of years ago, it would have been like, you know, you know, who needs these pussy friendships? And it wasn't that at all. It was, it was these two guys are really trying to connect and, you know, maybe feel a little bit guilty about their part in the friendship. And I feel like as an adult, half of my friendships are built on me feeling like I'm a shitty friend. So I don't have enough time for somebody or whatever, you know? So I, I understand, I understood a lot of this issue. I just thought it was so, well handled and it's it's really not Vince used the perfect word. It's it's this is the least dour this book has been. Yeah. And Clay Mann is a is a good artist that I think did some really nice work here. I, I don't think he gets singled out when we talk about sort of the the great artists at DC. And I'm not saying he is one of those great artists, but I think that his his stuff here was quite, quite good. And uh, probably some of the best stuff I've seen him do recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it it bounces back and forth really well between kind of standard cape stuff, and then I I, I don't know I really like the scenes where Lois and Clark are you know in their on the the reporter beat you know and where they're at the Daily Planet and walking around the way he draws Clark in his, um, I guess his civilian attire is just really, really great. I, I like those scenes a lot. Yeah. Although yeah, almost... it's, it's so old fashioned. It, it, it mm-hmm. is exactly like, uh, what, um, Christopher Reeve would be wearing. Right. Yeah. 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 But I, I will say that he continues to draw Lois Lane, not looking at all the same from issue to issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she looks like Lois here though. Yeah, there is a look about her here that feels, it feels like Lois, to me at least. She kind of looks like, um, what is her name? She was in all the Underworld movies. Oh, um. Kate Beckinsale? Kate Beckinsale, yeah. Yeah. Perhaps some Selena Ward mixed in there. Sell Award? Sell Award, I'm sorry. Selena, someone, yeah, Sell Award. Selena Kyle. Yes, that's who I meant. The Catwoman. Um, cat. Just cat. cat. Yeah, just Cat. Uh, yeah, I, I'm excited. I really hope the next issue is just them having, like, dinner at a diner. Or a foursome. Super friends with benefits, am I right? Uh, (laughs) Nothing associates. (laughs) 
This is a good comic. I don't know what happened, but it's a good comic. I'm a bad person. No, you're a good person. All right. That brings us to Batman TMNT, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number two. Did either of you guys crack this open? Mm-mm. No. I didn't even know you were going to bring it up. It's fine. Done. Um... <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Do the turtles and the bat meet So in the first issue? The last page Donatello winds up in Gotham. Fantastic. You you think they wouldn't have to delay that as much considering this is this the second crossover. Well they have they, ha- they have to like give him a reason to jump across the multiverse. Does uh does Batman pretend not to remember any of what happened before? No, he says like Donatello, is that you? <laughs> well, they're on a first name basis now. Yeah. I felt like, yeah. you know, the answer should be like, no, it's a different genius turtle human hybrid. <laughs> You fuck. Um, it's fine. It's fine. Um, now we're going to get to Vince's favorite comic of the week, Batman White Knight, number three. <sighs> written and illustrated by Sean Murphy. Lay it on me, yeah. Some Someone else want to go first? I, I, I actually first. don't remember what happened in this issue. Uh, other than Batman's bad, right? Oh, this is... This is the one with Batman Destruction Bond. That's right. Yes. I didn't mind this. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I feel like that I... idea is is a fine idea, but it's handled in the most heavy-handed way possible. I actively hate this comic now. For what, what reason? What's the reason? This, the whole, like, fake Harley is the Joker thing, I can't, the the minute that happened, I was, like, all interest in this book completely gone. Um, you can't get me to care anymore. Oh, but her costume looks great, right? Oh, uh, 10, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10, for sure. No, I just... This bores me. Every, as I'm reading this book, I just I can see all the things that uh, that Murphy is doing that he he thinks are, are so clever and evocative, and except for the Batman Disaster Fund or whatever it's called, there's not one idea in this book that landed for me. Yeah. But it looks really good. Yeah, he's a great artist. And unfortunately, he said this is the last thing he'll ever do that will be a company-owned character. So, uh, if he's true to that, this is the last time we get to see him do uh, Batman. I guess guess he's doing that that Scott Snyder uh, Bat story still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One more. Okay, that's fine. All right, that brings us to Black Lightning, Cold Dead Hands number two. Did either of you guys read this? I did. So did I. I did. Zach, what do you think? I like this. I like this quite a lot. I really like um, 
the artist. Clayton Henry? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Clayton Henry's fantastic. Um, I think the only thing that's holding this back a little bit for me is kind of some, like, sort of lame, lame, generic superhero dialogue type stuff. There's a lot of, like, uh, there, there's one line where he says, Welcome to my superhero life. <laughs> it's like I yeah. just picture, like, a Disney character saying that and then crossing their arms, you know? Like, yeah. Like, freeze frame. Well, and then, yep, like, this is me. How did I get yeah. here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a, I feel like there's a lot of that. But uh, there's also lines where he's like, or narration where he's like, I know this is a cliche, but, and then they do the cliche. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, just because you call it out doesn't really make it okay. But I think, I think I am enjoying this book because it is different. It, it it feels street level truly in a way that... Um, DC seems to kind of shy away from lately, you know, like uh-huh. everything in DC is, you know, big and world changing. And this is a book about very much about like local problems. And, uh, and I like it for that. I'll also note that, you know, since DC introduced this new trade dress, it's it's pretty easy to see what stuff they're considering canon and not, or, or what stuff is considered part of continuity. And this gets the DC Universe corner box, whereas a lot of their other miniseries do not. And so to me, that means that they're planning to use the developments in the series in other Rebirth titles in the future. Which means yeah. maybe it'll, quote, mean something more. I, I really don't care about that, but I just find it interesting that they decided... I mean, part of it is that there is a TV show starting in, like, six weeks based on this character. You know? Yeah, that's probably a big part of it. But, I, but yeah, you're, you're still right. I think the point still stands. Mm-hmm. Man, you remember that time we had that um, DC Universe Presents anthology of Black Lightning and Blue Devil? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And literally nothing ever happened with that. I like that, too. <laughs> I did, too. All right, here's a fun interstitial game. Let's name all the DC Universe Presents arcs. Okay, so right. Challengers of the Unknown. Yeah, what was the first one? Oh, that Dead Man. Dead Man, yeah. yeah. Challengers of the Unknown, the the Black Lightning, Blue Devil. There was um, a James Robinson written Vandal Savage one. That's right. I was trying to oh, think what man. you wrote. Yeah. There was um, that one... There was that one issue where it was like three different. It was like, um, wasn't there one issue where they like tied up a bunch of loose ends? Yes, it was like three canceled comics. That was the, the that was the DC Universe presents zero issue, mm. and it was a zero issue for was it Omax? Um, yeah, Omax. Uh, Mr. Mr. Terrific was one. Oh, yes. Because James Robinson wrote that and signed it into Earth Earth 2. That's how he winds up on Earth 2, right? Yeah. Wasn't there a Frankenstein? There was like a Frankenstein one. 
Was there? I thought Frankenstein went longer than that. Frankenstein didn't get canceled. Mm, I can okay, later. I could, I could be making that up then. There was a there was a Kid Flash. There was a Kid Flash. Or, or one. it might have been an issue, but it was there was at least one issue of Kid Flash. I believe it was one issue. There was a Starfire one. Yes, yes. With Tyler Kirkham art, I'm yeah, pretty sure. That's right. Actually, wasn't there like also a, there was like a Red Hood and Starfire, couple issues. It was when it was when Roy Harper was really in like the Japan stuff. I don't remember that at all. No, that's not ringing a bell at all. It doesn't mean there you're was, not, doesn't mean you're wrong. I just don't remember it. There, there, there was a. So I, I pulled up the list, and right. we have we've hit everything ex- except for one big one. I don't know how we could ever forget it. Um, but um, <laughs> right. there was an Arsenal arc, or it was one issue of Arsenal, and then one issue of Starfire. Oh, okay. Um. So wait, wait, was, and, and wait, one was issue that of Kid was... Flash as well? Wait, so help. Wait, was Arsenal in Japan or was Red Hood? No, Arsenal was part of Red Hood and the Outlaws. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And there was that, like, wasn't there like, that, like, comically overweight Japanese lady that I thought was pretty offensive <laughs> in um, that those comics? Right. That sounds right. This, this did have Roy Harper running for his life on the streets of Japan, also guest starring Red Hood and Starfire. Oh, man. Written by Joe Keating artist Rickon. Joe Keating, wow. Yeah, um, but we we forgot um, well, the, Tony Bedard and... Uh, okay, the, do you want to guess No, it? Just, just tell us now. Okay. It, it was Tony Bedard and Jesus Saez's um, groundbreaking turn on Beowulf. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, man. That's wild. Which then I think went on to be the backup feature in, in Sword of Sorcery. Yeah. Yeah. New 52 was weird time. <laughs> yeah. I think about Sword of Sorcery all the time because I loved the first issue of that book. I thought yeah. that was the best art that Aaron Lepresti ever did. I wanted that book to be so good. You're not wrong. It was the be- his best art, I think. It was fantastic. It looked beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And Amethyst is a cool character. She was really good in Future's End. I'm saying things that, like, kill all my credibility. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about Cyborg, then, guys. New creative team for two issues, and then it's canceled. Oh, can I tell you the exact moment that I closed this comic? The first line of dialogue? I'm basically maybe. Hold on, let me find it. But we should say uh, <laughs> Kevin Grow wrote it. Uh, Cliff Richards on art. Yeah, no, it's the. It was the third story page. What's wrong, Vic? Just wondering. Every time I use these cyborg abilities, it reminds me of just how inhuman I actually yeah. am. <laughs> Makes me wonder where the real flesh and blood Vic Stone begins and where it ends. You know. Congratulations! It's every cyborg story ever. Yep. <laughs> like, I, you know, what's fun though if you read that in the in Tommy Wiseau's voice, 
I'm not going to do it, but... Just wondering. Just wondering, Mark. Every time I use these cyborg abilities... <laughs> now it's just turning into an offensive racial no, stereotype. No, I, I don't mean that that way. That's Tommy Wiseau. He's from America, you know that, right? He's from outer space. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that the official Star Wars Twitter had tweeted a picture of Mark Hamill, and it said, oh, hi, Mark. And then, which is, which first of all, is amazing. If you had told me, like, five years ago that would be a thing, I would yeah. never believe you. But then Tommy Wiseau quote tweeted that and just said, put me in Star Wars <laughs> or something <laughs> along those lines. Put Hey, I don't, I don't disagree. Put him in Star Wars. He's totally the most normal alien they'd have in that movie. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Buddy, hit up Ryan Johnson. He's got three movies to cast. Uh, how good would it be if Tommy Wiseau and Mark Sestero were the two leads <laughs> of his trilogy? What if? What if? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ha 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 ha! She's fast enough for you, old man. <laughs> That's Tommy Wiseau. Yes. It's not anything else. <laughs> it's okay. nothing else at all. <laughs> Uh, this comic is garbage. Anything else to say about it? No, I literally quit right where I said I quit. I I did stop at the first page. Uh, so, talk about offensive. So, Cyborg is in Africa, and he gets, of course, a magical totem. Because every African story has to be reduced to, like, village wizardry. And he wishes to be human again. And he becomes a human. Loses his cyborg powers. Forever. Let's hope not, but so. Um, yeah, not a good comic. Let's move on to a very good comic. Dastardly and Motley number four. <laughs> Written by Garth Ennis, illustrated by Morissette. This book's pretty weird. Yeah. But in a good way. I like how when... Uh, Muttley gets upset, he just howls. <laughs> like, he loses the ability to speak, he just starts barking and uh, howling. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I, you know, every every time, every time I think the book is not going to be able to surprise me anymore, they, they have Dick Dastardly getting kicked in the tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having his eyes bug out. Oh my god, I'm looking at it right now and I'm laughing. That's how good Morissette's art is on this. And then uh, Muttley bites that woman's butt. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yup. <laughs> and, uh, you know, tries to murder all these people and ends up just shooting darts at their head. Yep. Sticky darts. Oh, I tell ya. So, uh, yeah. Alright, next up is Dead Man. And you guys didn't read Dead Man, did you? No. Guys, you're missing the most bonkers comic in the universe. Are, are we missing it, or... So there's a scene 
And maybe I'm just misunderstanding this, okay? So Dead Man pops into this house in Japan, and he thinks that the sensei is there. But the sensei is not there. At least not initially. And so there's a baby in this house. And so Dead Man leans over and says, Adorable. Okay, he's cute. Worth a minute of my time. Hiya, kid. Gotta love you, kid. But tomorrow, your parents, ellipses, in this lousy world can be dead by the hands of the sensei. He's telling a baby that his parents might be dead any minute. And then this crazy fight happens. Every you know, he speaks in in, in half sentences for no reason. And then for some reason the baby starts to die, but they never say why, and then the baby's fine a second later. And like it just it this this fucking kind of makes no sense. But because of course they do, Phantom Stranger Etrigan and the Spectre show up at the end. Mm. Okay. Uh, Are you sure? I'm positive. Okay. It's still bad, though. Yeah. Still very bad. It seems like it. Uh, what's not bad is Deathstroke, number 26, written by Priest, illustrated by Diogenes Nevis. Um... So we get a lot of Dr. Icon in this issue. Mm-hmm. This is the, like, every fifth issue of Deathstroke, where there's more editor's notes than anything else. <laughs> and that happens every couple of In, like, of a issues. single word balloon, there are, like, three, three editors. Three notes. sets of asterisks that tell you in what issue these things happen. But I'm, I'm appreciative that they do that every four or five issues to catch mm-hmm. up anybody who's not reading the book regularly. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think that's also part of the book's humor too. Um, like it's funny to see that, and they have to know that, right? Yeah. Um. And this this book is just so funny. Like the beat that it ends on with. With uh, with new Superman showing up and doing like the the Ginyu Force pose, and <laughs> with, uh, a narrow, with a translator, <laughs> yeah, with a translator, and uh, <laughs> and Wintergreen just being like, "It's for you," <laughs> like it's it's Force Laid, but like you know, it's for you to deal with. <laughs> it's just perfect, and all the stuff with like. Man, they really brought David Isherwood's story around, connecting all the dots. Yeah. Everything is just so tight and makes sense, and there's all sorts of emotional beats that work, and and everybody, there's just a bunch of bad people, but, like, it's not difficult to watch them operate, right. you know? <laughs> I literally only have one complaint about this issue. There is no way Tara would be smoking, she'd be vaping. <laughs> That's all. She'd be smoking rocks. Oh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> no, she she'd be, she'd have like the most obnoxious vape scent possible. Oh, was this the also the issue where where Wintergreen is uh crushing on Rose pretty hard? Was it this issue? No, crushing on Adeline. I thought it was, I thought they were talking about Rose. 
Oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, uh, or was that in the... Maybe it was Adeline. I can't find the page now. Well, he's... Or was that in the Christmas thing? I think that was in the Christmas thing. Yeah. Ah, okay, then it definitely was Adeline. Okay, all right. But but I just think um, there's, like a, there's like a shot of uh, Adeline and uh, Wintergreen sort of like leaving the team while Slate is gone. And they're like weirdly close. And it makes you think like, oh, Wintergreen is cucking Slate, I think. Yeah. Think he is on the sly. We we may never find out, but that's what, just what I'm going to choose to believe. You're choose. You are like that Harley and oh, Ivy no. six issue miniseries that took place between panels. Yeah, like, you're exactly. you're reading into something between panels here. It, yep. it was this issue. It is that scene that Vince is talking about, but it's Adeline is like talking about how she hates Rose and oh, and Wintergreen's like I love her. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe Wintergreen's just a Wilson sexual. <laughs> maybe. That's well, just... true. Yeah. He has a predilection for any, for Slade and any of his uh, wives or offspring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's totally normal. Um, so I have, I have, I want to talk a little bit about the, um, the Isherwood-Joseph relationship. And how, like, that was, you know, we knew that they had a relationship early on, but this issue really informed sort of what what was the foundation of that relationship in terms of him being a friend of Slade's and, you know, how they, they essentially called him their uncle and all of that. And that really lends a fucked up feeling to that friendship, to that relationship. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, I mean, it was already... There was already, like, the infidelity angle of, you know, like, he's engaged and 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 then also the woman he's engaged to is also cheating on him with his dad. But then the person he was cheating on her with is also basically, like, his, you know, surrogate uncle, father. It all, uh... Uncle, father, Oscar. Yeah, yeah. Uncle Father Oscar. I mean, what can we say? This family is dysfunctional. (laughs) Yeah. Remember in issue, like, five when Slade was just naked in front of Rose for no reason? (laughs) Yes. Oh, you're right. Uh, My last question is, how is young Wintergreen in that cell with Slade? Oh, that's see, that's the latest like bat nuts twist. Yeah, that's that's what keeps this book so damn good from month to month. Isn't that the AI though? Is that like that's how I took it? Well, that's what I was going to ask. Is it like a physical manifestation of the AI? See, I think we're supposed to take it. I think we're supposed to take it a step further that it's something beyond that because we've already seen the AI, so it wouldn't be much of a. Maybe it's just the AI, but then it wouldn't be much of a... Well, the way I took it is, like, the AI has, like, bled into his, like, psyche, and now he's, like, seeing it. Well, I mean, 
Dr. Icon says, Dr. Icon says, I've left you some company till I get back. So Dr. Icon knows what's happening here. I guess that's true, yeah. And I mean, I, and that's still kind of how I took it, though, that like, yeah. somehow, I don't know, somehow the AI has like, has manifested. Yeah. Mm. That makes sense to me. Uh, let's jump and as over... much as these things can make sense, yeah. Let's let's jump over to Green Arrow number thirty-five, written by Ben Percy, illustrated by Juan Ferreira. Um, I feel like as soon as Moira Queen showed up, you knew she was going to fuck over Ollie. I'm surprised it happened this quick, but I'm kind of glad it did. Just let us get on with the story a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, it's fine. I thought this was fairly boring. Yeah. I um I still love Ferreira's art. He every, oh, this issue is it, it may have been boring from a story perspective, but the art is just so good. Especially all the underwater stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um yeah, I'll agree with that. I'm I'm a little bit ready for um I'm ready for Ollie to have his life back together again. You know? Yeah. But this just seemed like and I said it just seemed like you kind of knew Moira was up to no good and then she shows up and is exactly what you expect her to be. It wasn't there wasn't really a surprise there. And I wish mm-hmm. they sort of play with the expectation there a little bit, but that's all right. Um, what about Green Lanterns number thirty-six, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by Ronan Cliquet? This is going to get canceled, isn't it? <laughs> I told you guys that I thought that Tim Seeley was coming on it to like bring it to to bring it home, essentially to uh, to euthanize it. <laughs> euthanize it. Yeah, this just this issue had to, had a couple of of decent moments, but this seems like such a such an issue that is just it exists to fill the slot in the release schedule. Like nothing really happens in this issue. It's all retelling something that no one cared about in the first place. It just seems like marking time. And this is Celia's like fourth or fifth issue on the book. And they're already doing stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah, that's kind of my impression too. Like, what? I don't really get what I don't know what the arc is here. I don't know what I don't know what they're trying to accomplish. I guess for the last couple issues, Seely has tried to give um, Simon and Jess more of a. personality or out uh, you know life outside of the costumes um but i feel like in one page christopher priest did a better job of that in justice league already <laughs> like and if that's the case then why is this whole issue are they in costume well i'm saying but i'm saying before now you know like by giving them no, jobs no but i agree but if you're trying to build up their out of costume stuff then why go an entire issue without doing that 
Sure. You're, yeah. You're not. You're not helping your cause at all. Yeah. So I don't really. I guess I don't really. I other than to say that he's steering the ship to the last issue or whatever the relaunch is going to be. Feels like it's just treading water. I feel like this is the clearest example thus far of like, all right, we had this idea for Rebirth. It really never worked. Let's bring it in for a landing and then start something new. And I feel like the something new is going to be a Green Lantern book, but it's not going to be the Green Lantern's book. Yeah. I, man. Hey, this seems like a good time to maybe, I mean, I say this all the time, but this is a good time to just totally revamp the line you know i don't i don't know how much left venditti has in the tank i feel like at this point he could just keep going on forever (laughs) i know what you mean i mean if the bendis if bendis is going to be looking for a project we talked about this before like give him the lantern books it can't be any worse than what's happening now yeah I don't think, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that's what's going to happen, though. You know what I would love to see happen? What? Give it to Scott Snyder. Yeah. Like, metal's wrapping up. All-Star Batman's not really a thing right now. Let him let him have it. Let him take the Lantern books. At least, give, at least let him try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the problems with the Green Lantern titles at this point is that they're higher profile than your books like Flash and Aquaman and even maybe to a certain degree Wonder Woman still, although certainly less so now than five years ago. But there's still a book that there's still books that need, I think, a solid creator attached to it. Batman's going to sell no matter what, but I think we've seen the difference between a Jeff Johns Green Lantern book and a Rob Venditti book in terms of not just sales but like critical notice not even critical praise just like I don't know when the last time you saw an issue of a Green Lantern book reviewed where it felt like they were reviewing something substantial I feel like these are just books that people review because it's six weeks later and you need something to review you know does that make sense like it's not I don't think anyone yeah. notices these books at all. You need somebody on the books who's going to make someone notice it, whether it's a superstar writer, a superstar artist, something. Mm-hmm. Boy, Scott Snyder is uh, kind of a conundrum for me at DC because he's exclusive, right? Yes. And it could be argued, it's it's inarguable that he's their most popular writer, Right. Active. Probably. Yeah. Probably, yeah. It could be argued that he's their best writer. Um, so I guess it just seems so weird to me that since Rebirth started, he's done what? All-Star Batman and... And... And some metal, metal stuff, yeah. Yeah. And what else? I, That's all, right? I mean, you say that, but aside from the first, like, 13 issues of Swamp Thing, uh-huh. he pretty much only did Batman in the New 52. Yeah, and Superman Unchained. 
Yeah, but I mean that's that's a that's a limited series that I Jim, know. You know that Jim Lee took forever on, but you know but I know, but but now he doesn't even have a regular book. Well, you know, part of it is I, I'm pretty sure he's going to relaunch American Vampire with with Vertigo in August, and mm-hmm. so I'm sure he's banking that he's about to relaunch, um, which is again an image the I, the current arc is running in that Image Plus magazine, um, and you know. I have a feeling he's going to have a lot coming out of this sort of new age of heroes thing. Um, but I still think that if he's exclusive, you should be using him more. Right. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, I'm, you know, they're fine having writers writing uh, two books. And if not two books, at least like a buy, like a twice monthly where the, you know, the writer's putting out two of the same book. But he's not even doing that. You know, he was writing a monthly book, and just one of them. And I'm I'm not saying that he doesn't. I'm not saying like they can do whatever they want with him, and you know, he's certainly entitled to do as much or as little as he wants. I just find it surprising. That's all. Yeah, no, I that. agree. It's it's especially weird because you figure coming out of the New Fifty Two. His Batman was sort of the one thing everybody agreed on. Mm-hmm. So you would think they would have built Rebirth around him in some ways. Yeah. All right. Let's. Uh, did either of you guys read Harley and Ivy meet Benny and Veronica? No. Mm-mm. I actually. Re- you read it? I did, but it's really weird because my Amazon Alexa is talking upstairs and no one's up there. There might be someone up there. It's literally reading a book. <laughs> I probably said... Writ- the Telltale Heart? I probably said, like, did either of you guys read this book? And it started uh... to read. Anyway... I read it, it, nothing happens in it, it's boring. You guys talk about Superman when I go turn off the Alexa slash fight the person in my house who to put on an ebook. book <laughs> uh, oh, So, Vince. Zach, Superman, Gleason, Tomasi, Doug Monkey, take it away. I really want to like this. I know, right? <laughs> right? Why why does Superman have to be so mean to Lex Luthor? That's exact. Is, isn't he asking? Isn't Luthor asking the question that we've asked for like the last yeah. year year or two? Like, mm-hmm. when is he going to accept that Luthor just wants? Uh... Like, I mean, this issue makes me feel like Lex is going to be evil again, and it's all Superman's fault. Yeah, basically. I didn't like this. I didn't like that ending. Um, yeah, I, if that's the direction they're going, if we're already about to get to the end of Lex being a good guy, I'm pretty mad. (laughs) Um, I just think it's so unnecessary. There was nothing wrong with that. Yeah, there's really not. And especially because we never have actually gotten to explore a point where he and Clark are on good terms with each other. The whole time it's just been 
like Lex saying, I'm good now, and Superman saying, well, I don't know about that. And um, now it's just going to end with Lex being evil and Clark saying, oh, I knew all along, you're evil. Um, I wonder if this is an opportunity to get Lex to be a hero that's not just in Superman's shadow. Maybe. But it it didn't seem that way. No, he had a really creepy grin and the the S symbol was burning. It didn't didn't seem great. <laughs> I think it's interesting. And maybe you guys said this while I was turning off my ghost book, but um, I think it's interesting that Superman leaves Apocalypse. I mean, it, it it's true to Superman's character to leave Apocalypse like in a hopeful state. Mm-hmm. But it's it's very not apocalypse. Yeah, that was very weird too. It it it's it, it is weird because he essentially he's like, Oh yeah, I'm the leader now and things are gonna be good, but I'm gonna leave and you can just call me if you need me. <laughs> Wouldn't this would have been a perfectly good opportunity to let Lex kind of be the the one to stay there you know yeah yeah Yeah, that's a great point it kind of feels like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too because like in a in a in a past era of dc comics they would have had superman off the table for a while right Mm -hmm. and they would have had you know, there would have been a whole storyline that, oh, no, Superman is uh, tending to Apocalypse, and, you know, that's why he can't be here. And, and Oh, man. Honestly, I, oh, I would have, yeah. yeah. Keep going. Keep well, going. What I was going to say is I think, reader, I think readers do get tired of that. Like, I think they want, you know, any when you take Batman away, like, yeah, we got Dick Grayson for a while, but then I feel like a lot of readers get vocally agitated and tired of that. But I wish, I wish that they felt... Because let's be honest, the stuff that's going on in action right now does not directly correspond to what's going on in Superman right now. Right. You know? So why can't we have, like, all right, in Superman, Superman is the leader of Apocalypse for a while, and he is gone. In action, all the same shit that's happening in action is still going on. Because it's not like right now those two books are in concert with one another. You All know? you have to do is put an editor's box at the start of each issue. Like, note, this takes place before this or after this, whatever it is. I Yeah, I guess. I, or do you even really need that? I mean... People like that stuff. I, you're, you're right. You know, and again, it doesn't impact the story at all. It's just, you put that out yeah. there. Yeah, because like even though these things may not be matching up, they're also not like obviously contradicting dicting each other the way that you know right. uh Clark being off world would be but I I do love that I mean I would honestly you're you're totally right Brian people do for whatever reason really vocally hate any kind of change in superhero comics um which I'll never understand but I would love if um you know, in the main Superman book, Clark is on Apocalypse, and we get that for, you know, half a year even. That'd be 12 issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then Lex is the Superman of Earth. Mm-hmm. 
Or even reverse that, I'd be fine with that. Or, yeah, the other way around as well would be fine. Yeah, and uh, and that you could still have Superman in Justice League. You could still have the same action comic stuff that you want. Um, yeah, but the, but this weird, it's a weird story beat to have him go... Well, I'm, you know, everything's going to be great here now, but uh, just call me if you need me, and and I'm, yeah. And it's like, well, this seems like what it does instead, instead of having like a an epic story that actually changes the status quo of the comic a little, it has something that feels like it should be a really momentous event getting immediately shoved aside for whatever's coming next. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how often are we going to revisit Apocalypse? I it remains to be seen, but it feels like it's not going to be as much as that sort of thing would warrant. Right. You know, like I would even be down with like you know, um, the old like you know times past thing in in uh, Starman to once every year or every six months do an issue or two in Apocalypse, but yeah. they're never going to do that. That's too, like, adventurous. That's too, like, um... As as good as Rebirth has been, as good as DC has been for two years now, they they rarely get that experimental, you know? They don't don't break from structure that often. But see, like, to me, and and you're absolutely right, I'm I'm not arguing with, with your point there, but to me, like, isn't that the same... As doing an issue where Clark gets the bones of a soldier from under a river, like <laughs> that wasn't advancing any rebirth storyline. So if you're gonna have these like weird one shots that kill time, then tell a creative team now. Like give this to you know I'm trying to think of a writer, even Scott Snyder. Give it to somebody and say, listen, you're responsible for four issues a year for the next three years of Superman and Apocalypse. Hmm. And just, oh, that'd be great. You know, let a different creative team do it, and uh, that gives the regular creators a break, and it lets those stories one day be collected into something that feels cohesive. DC, hire us. <laughs> I was going to say it. Oh, but yeah. Oh, well. I'm really excited for the next arc. If anything can save Superman... It's more Super Sons and Teen Titans. Yes. And, and then after that, it's the Robinson arc. <laughs> yeah. Strange times we're living in. Yep. Um, last book of the week, did either of you guys read The Jetsons? I did skim it. And I did read in quotations, the first however many pages that didn't have words. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, in in what might be, in a week where we saw a surrogate uncle fuck his surrogate nephew, <laughs> maybe the creepiest dialogue in the whole week of comics is, um, so Judy Jetson sleeps in essentially like a Bacta tank that records her dreams. Just let that sink in for a second. And then, so so she wakes up, and Grandma slash Rosie is like, you know, 
what'd you dream about? It's like it was there was all this sort of weird stuff and Rose said, Alright, we'll we'll feed it all into the computer and it'll all make sense. And then she was like, Do you want me to leave the room? And Judy was like, No, I didn't have any of those kind of dreams and she goes, Too bad. Like robot grandma wants her granddaughter to have like sexy dreams. <laughs> The future's wild, man. Yeah. <laughs> the Jetsons are buck wild. Oh. Well, that's a good note to end on. Yeah, yeah, it is. So thanks for listening, folks. Uh, next week, we're going to start our next little book club here. We're going to be reading the the first couple of arcs of Damage, not the new uh, Tony Daniel illustrated uh book coming out as part of the the new Age of Heroes, but the 1994 Grant Emerson starring young character, uh, there are some JSA connections in there, although I don't know if we're going to get those in the books we're reading. He was briefly a member of the Titans, um, one of my most nostalgic comics of the 90s. I loved this book when it came out. So I had not read it in over 20 years, so I'm very interested to see how it holds up, and uh, yeah, so... Uh. If you guys want to track down the first couple of arcs of that, we're not sure exactly what issues we're going to read. We're going to look at it next week and sort of see what... Well, I want to look at it and sort of see what makes sense to read. But you can find all the issues very, very cheaply on eBay, or there are some less legal means to find them as well. Uh, They are not collected anywhere on Comixology or anything, so unfortunately you can't pick it up that way. But who knows, maybe it will be after uh, after the new series launches. But... Until then, you can find me and uh, all of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at Vince Ostrowski. Um, vote for Doug Jones, please. <laughs> yes, the actor uh-huh. who played uh, who played Abe Sapien. Either it, one. Yeah. 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 Oh, and I'm uh, at Sir Fox eighty nine. And uh, get well, Brian Bendis and Justin Jordan. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Why did Courtney Love not enjoy cranberry sauce with her Christmas dinner? <laughs> <laughs>